Welcome to A Rabbi and a Lawyer Walk Into a Bar, a podcast with relatively well-informed and irreverent musings on religion, news, and society. And now, for your hosts, Rabbi Asher Lopatin and John Geringer. Hey, John! Asher, how are you? Thank God, Baruch Hashem, doing well. Uh, it was uh, doing well after Hashanah, but always nervous as we head towards Yom Kippur. How was your New Year? How was your sermon? I was happy with the sermons. You know, I do them from notes. I haven't written up weeks ahead of time or anything like that. I, I thought about them for a while, but it actually really came together. One of them, the second day sermon, I, I they're both great sermons, but I, I guess if I could say that, I love them both. I love them like my children. But the second day dealt with Azerbaijan and Nagorno-Karabakh, and it actually wasn't in the news before that. I, I was part of a rabbinic listserv examining whether Azerbaijan is committing ethnic cleansing or a genocide or not. I've discussed that. But now it's it's still probably not the number one headline on most papers, but it is big in the news because they actually had a little mini war and there was a ceasefire and it's over. It's over for this enclave, this Armenian enclave within Azerbaijan, meaning their independence or their, their autonomy is over. But anyway, I felt good. I feel good that I addressed something that actually was very topical and I, I hope I dealt with it okay. And I also dealt with hilltop youth in Israel and touched on that. So we went all the way from Azerbaijan to the hilltops of Samaria, of Judea and Samaria. Well, tell everyone what the Hilltop Youth are. So Hilltop Youth is a radical group of mostly younger Jewish people in Israel that that are really post-Zionists. They don't believe that they are subservient to the state of Israel, really. They're kind of like naturalists, but they believe that vengeance, they follow a, a leader that believes that vengeance is a good thing and, and spontaneity and anger and fury and the land and, you know, sort of connection to the land, but not really connection to the state of Israel or even to, you know, Zionism. It's a real radical group that I, I believe is actually very dangerous and even is more radical than someone like Smotrich, if you follow Israeli politics. They're, you know, they're people in the government of Israel now that I strongly disagree with their positions because they're not really for shared society of Israelis and Palestinians, but they're Zionists, at least. They believe in the state of Israel and they just want to take the state of Israel in the wrong direction, according to what I would say. But these folks, the hilltop youth, they don't even believe really in the state. They just sort of a radical, wild, naturalistic I'll be very controversial here, John, in the first minute of this podcast that I think it resonates it's a, new a lot. Year. Let's, be, let's do it. Resonates a lot with the naturalistic views of Nazism that, you know, we're part of nature and it's a fight. And a lot of those themes really seem to actually have taken in this group. So I sort of talked about that also, but the idea of that life is complex and we need to have discipline to get out of complexity and to wrestle with it and not to just throw it all off and be wild like nature. 
There you go. Well, that's right. I mean, I, I read Mein Kampf so other people don't have to. And that's exactly one of the threads in there that, in effect, I think why he hated Jews so much is that we injected things like even as banal as contracts or or reciprocity among humans when he just wanted to be the the battle of the races and and let the let the better race win and even when germany was losing the war he he basically conceded maybe germany wasn't the master race so he wasn't even a, a german nationalist as much as a racial purist wow so um, interesting wow but that's a whole different discussion we can get into oh, some other we gotta talk about this more yeah interesting an interesting article in sources journal it's a Hartman Institute Journal by Professor Persuko. Interesting. So, so that's what my sermons were about. So you got a taste of things. Interesting. We had a good time. We sang, we danced. It was really wonderful. Excellent. <laughs> and and your how was your Rosh Hashanah? It was actually great. We had 30 or so people at our house for dinner, including friends that I may have mentioned who one's a professional opera singer and one's another quasi-professional musician. So the, the music was wonderful, like they say. Right, and right. and speaking of music, our, our interim rabbi at our shul had asked me quite an interesting favor before Rosh Hashanah. When he first asked, I was a bit intrigued and then surprised. And then when I realized he was serious, a bit mortified on what he wanted me to do, which was to basically do a little bit of shtick before he got up there to give his sermon, which was about Yechezkel, Ezekiel, and the dry bones coming to life. Love it. He wanted me to sing the spiritual Dem Bones. Wow. Can you do it a little bit now for us on this podcast? Well, you know, as, as everybody knows, it starts off, you know, the toe, the toe bones connect to the foot bone, et cetera, et cetera. And right. it says, Ezekiel cried them dry bones. Now here is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Oh, so it's a wonderful song, but it's it's not so typical for me to get up in front of 600 people to sing that kind of spiritual song. So I, I warn people in advance. <laughs> that, you know, I couldn't say no to my rabbi on Rosh Hashanah. And I reminded them of our synagogue policy on no cell phone use in the sanctuary. <laughs> so there is no recording of this. I hope to God there's not. <laughs> and you but, don't live stream, right? You don't live stream or or Zoom, right? No, not at all. Not at all. We're, we're as probably as far traditional of a conservative synagogue as probably exists in the country. You know, all, almost touching modern Orthodox. And, you know, it's interesting, John, because you mentioned that you had you know, 30 people over. I think some and our, we had our two daughters came in from University of Michigan uh, and, and our, our son's in. He's in high school. One son is still in Israel. But it's in Rosh Hashanah is very much there's part of it's in synagogue, hours and hours and spiritual and all that. Which, but part, a lot of it and the shofar, but a lot of it is just with people that you love, with family and with friends and with community. In contrast, maybe to Yom Kippur a little bit that we'll, I hope we, we discuss, we'll discuss in this podcast, just sort of more of a spiritual and, and between you and God kind of holiday. Yeah, I think, I think it's a time for reconnecting. I find myself reaching out to friends who I haven't talked to in a long time. And, and as you know, you know, one of the things we're supposed to do during these 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is is to repent. You know, there's, I, I guess, two kinds, right? There's Ben Adam Lemakom, between man and God, when we should pack out why he's called Lemakom, the place. Uh -huh. I'll have you talk about that. And and Ben Adam Lechavero, between you and your fellow human. And and that Yom Kippur, really, you you have to ask your fellow human beings 
for forgiveness for what you've done over the past year. Sometimes the forgiveness I ask is, you know, we haven't hung out with each other long enough to forgive. So one of things, you know, for some of my friends, I say we should hang out more. So I actually have something to repent about. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah, I think it's so interesting that, you know, you can reach out to anyone, even if you haven't spoken to them for a long time and just say, we just want to wish you Shana Tova, a happy new year. And it sort of provides you license to connect with so many people, even frankly, in your professional network, you know, to connect with people and, you know, send them apps, send them honey, send them a card or just a, a voicemail or something. But it really, yeah, it does give you that opportunity. And maybe there's sort of a continuum between just saying, want to wish you a happy new year to saying, you know, I really want ask for your forgiveness. And that's kind of a, that's the kind of progress, this journey from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, which is asking for forgiveness. And yeah, actually I have a new, I, I talked on the first day a little bit about Art Green, Professor Arthur Green and his idea of monism, that like he believes God is everywhere. God is in everything. God is in every human being. God is, which there, there is a sort of a, a Kabbalistic understanding of that oneness and that we're all, in a sense, God is everywhere. We just have to bring the godliness out. And maybe that sort of is that resonates with that idea of Bein Adam La Makom, when we talk about between human beings and God, we call God the place. Because in a certain sense, it's where we all dwell, where everything dwells. It's space. It's it's where where you know it's it's everywhere, and it brings that out to that idea of, of monism, really. That when we connect with God, we really connect with ourselves. We connect with our deeper selves, with our true selves. So maybe that's sort of Makom has that that idea of our responsibility in this world through the commandments to bring God out in this world, to make sure everyone sees that God is everywhere. God can be everywhere. Isn't that inching closer to Mordechai Kaplan's view on, on a deity of some kind? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Art Green is very much reconstructionist in many ways. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, he's so traditional, really. He has a great commentary on, on the Siddur now, on the prayer book, and he has some really good theology books. And it's kind of he calls himself a radical theologian, but there's a lot of tradition in that of, of you know, God's presence and God's power. And he prays, you know, and very different from anything like atheism or agnosticism, where there's any kind of denial of God. It's like that old joke about someone who goes to the rabbi and says, I'm an apichorus, you know, I, I'm a non-believer. And he says, you're not learned enough to be an apichorus. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's like the other joke that someone says, you know, Oy vey, I'm a nobody, I'm a nobody. And the rabbi and the president look at him and said, look who's calling himself a nobody. <laughs> <laughs> the big book of Jewish humor, right? <laughs> So last episode, last year, we got into the details on Yom Kippur. You have to fast. You can't wear leather shoes. You can't bathe. You can't anoint. You can't engage in marital relations. Let's take a deeper dive maybe into the service. Kol Nidre, the, the, fav, oh, the famous yeah. song, which is really kind of more of a legal contract than anything else, right? Yeah, that's well, I could should punt that to you, John. That's the, the legal, you know, the it's a haunting tune, cold, a very powerful tune. Some say that's really why 
it's gotten its reputation, why it's it's iconic, as it were, because of just amazing tune that it had that otherwise, yeah, it would have been just some mumbled, some kind of contract. Because actually, on the day before Rosh Hashanah, on Erev Rosh Hashanah, so Friday this year, we did Hatarat Nidarim. We did this nullification of vows. And you do it, you say this thing, all the vows that I've taken and this and that, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean to take these vows. And you do it in front of a court of three. And they say, mutalach, mutalach, mutarlach. It's free, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay. And and so it's like the opposite of the song. Isn't there a song like, you're no good, you're no good, baby, you're no good. Something like that. Anyway, <laughs> you know, I can't let you be the only singer, John. <laughs> Hey, I but, sang already this this podcast. But anyway, so it could have been relegated to something you mumble, but what a haunting tune it has for it. And then there is the historical back background, and then there's some debate about the historical background, but it does have a deep background. Yeah, I think it's one of those things, because I, I thought I read that the reform movement was going to eliminate it from the service, and there was a pushback. And I, yeah. I think there's something haunting, historical, captivating about it, that if nothing else, it, it signals the beginning of a very, you know, difficult in some ways, challenging in some ways, but hopeful in some ways, 25 hours in front of us. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, the, 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 at least the, the myth I'll say, and I'm not saying if it's true or not, but the, the, the story that is told is that it was during the, the conversos, those who, after the expulsion from Spain, the Spanish Inquisition, so the Jews that took on Christianity that wanted to stay and took on Christianity uh, secretly, you know, they, but they were still Jewish, but outwardly they had to take on all of Christianity. This was a prayer that they said that, you know, all that stuff about Jesus didn't mean any of it. So, you know, I'm not... Sometimes here in this podcast, when we say something stupid, we just do a do-over and cut it out. Exactly right, right. So it is a powerful idea, really. I mean, yes, it's a contract. Yes, it's even questionable whether it works according to Jewish legal law. Halakhically, they just say, you know, any, you know, any vow I take till the next year doesn't count. It's not really clear, but it does open up, like you said, this 25 hours of fasting and praying and, and asking for repentance. It does open up the gates, as it were that yeah we can sort of become a different person we can it's i once i think i gave a sermon about that it's like declaring bankruptcy kind of you know that you know okay everything's wiped out and now you can begin anew and so it is a powerful idea of of change and our ability to reshape our lives and not to feel that we're always burdened by our shortcomings from this past year and even the physicality around it, right? Everyone's dressed in white to signify yeah. maybe the beginning. Oh, yeah. It used to be, you know, J.J. Schachter talks about this. And my father, Oliver Shalom, also used to talk about that. The It's hard for the chazanim, for the cantors to even say this because they've just finished eating all their chicken soup and brisket and everything. Before, and the meal before Yom Kippur, they're full, they're like belching. <laughs> and here they got to do this haunting tune. And it and it I I mean you remember and Anshi Shalom oh my gosh it was first of all 
you got to get tickets. And so there were people standing outside who didn't reserve seats. And, right. you know, I don't know if you were on, you know, how to stand in front. Are you on the list? Are you not on the list? Okay. If you're not on the list, go to that line. Of course, we're going to let you in. But first, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I was more the guy standing in back doing the greeting. I let other people do the hard work. Smart president. That was great. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it was so it's 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 a nervous time. The beginning of Yom Kippur really is nervous. And and it's a scary time, even though ultimately this is supposed to be a very happy, wonderful holiday. Ironically, even though we're fasting and we're sad and we do a lot of crying about our sins and we pound our chest with vidoy, with confession. And yet it is, according to the Talmud, one of the top two happiest days of the year. And there's there's other things that that really kind of jar people who, who do it, that there's an element, there's aspects of the Musaf service, the later afternoon service, where whereas in other places we talk about bowing throughout the year, some of us, and I get the weird stares, I actually do bow at the, what is it, five yeah. times or so during the service where yeah. you actually get down almost as if, you know, kind of Muslims in prayer get down and bow for the Alenu prayer and, and some related ones. And the Avodah, like it was done in the temple, we say this service, and again, that might be, that might be cut out of certain, you know, in, in more liberal circles, but certainly in traditional circles, you know, we say the service that the high priest used to say, and high priest used to enter the holy of holies and sort of spritz blood all over the ark of the covenant and we say that service and we bow and we would hear the high priest say the name of god and yeah i remember growing up you know we would bow you know like uh, you know you lean over but it is much more popular now to get on the floor and and just like muslims do five times a day for us to us to bow and yeah and that's really powerful and and you know the, the it just feels like we're on on a higher level it's supposed to inspire us that we are all we all have our little high priests all, all of whatever gender we are we are like the high priests so we have this high level of holiness and that really ultimately should lead to joy that we are we're holy people and you know it's not a message just for jews and not a message just for jews that are in synagogue or you know temple wherever on yom kippur it's a message for human beings that we can attain high levels we can attain forgiveness we can be better people than we've been so it's just a great i find it you know by the afternoon by the late afternoon it's just a glorious day yeah, you, you hit a stride, I think, around three or four o'clock. Yeah, yeah. When yeah. the end is coming soon enough, and then you've got the um, the final service that, that brings it all home. Why don't you talk about how, how that comes together? Actually, before we get to that, let's talk about duchening, the priestly <laughs> blessing, because I know everyone knows that Leonard Nimoy made that famous as the Vulcan salute, but it actually comes from our Kohanic priestly blessing. Yeah, yeah, which is right in the Bible, right? And in the, in the book of Numbers, in, in Nassau, in, in the portion of Nassau, where it says that the children of the priest should bless the people, and it gives them, you know, may you be blessed, and all that. And uh, it's funny, I don't, I know it in Hebrew, but I don't, can't just spit out the interpretation, the translation, 
And I, I remember I was doing a wedding or something and I said the Hebrew and then they said, oh, and who would give the English? So okay, <laughs> may God bless you and keep you, may you shine the divine face, beautiful words. But that's right in the Torah and the Kohanim, you know, as it were, this is a tradition that they've continued for you know, 3,500 years and they get up. And they're introduced by the leader of the service, by the Baltfila, by the Chazan, and the cantor. And he says, if there's more than one, he says, Kohanim. And they would, and everyone shouts, Am Kamor. You're holy people. Like all of us plebs. And the, the priests, there aren't maybe like 5%, maybe 1% of the synagogue, or 5% are, are from the Kohanic line. And we could talk about how there is also this DNA, uh, you know, proof that they're all connected, that that gene or that mitochondria, whatever it is, is still 23 and me. <laughs> What's that? 23 and me. Yeah, there you go. So, and then they say this prayer and they hold their prayer shawls, their talitot over their heads and their hands are stretched out. And the custom is not to look at them. And if you have a child, you cover them up with your talit, with your own prayer shawl. And but you're supposed to you're supposed to face them. You're supposed to yes, you can't, don't you can't stick turn your, to a different direction, right? Don't stick your tuchas out at the Kohani <laughs> that are blessing you. But you know, but and the truth is nowadays there's no prohibition of looking. We don't look at them, but there's no prohibition. So we're not gonna. Well, we're not gonna melt like an Indiana Jones. Our faces I, won't melt. No, because they cover themselves up with a talus anyway. So, and you probably, but you probably won't see them doing the Vulcan salute either, because their their hands are covered by in their talus. Why do they? Why do they do it like that? Is that the, for the letter Shin, the Hebrew letter Shin? Yeah, well, that's what Leonard Nimoy says. Yes, the letter Shin. I've also seen that the idea is that the divine blessing should flow through them. So they're ah. kind of like opening up their fingers that way. And, and it's a way for the divine to flow through. And they, that's the idea. They are they're not giving us a blessing, the, these priests. They are the vehicle for God to bless us. So therefore, really, even if a priest is a schnook, you know, is not a good person, <laughs> it's okay. Now, if they're a murderer, they're not supposed to do it. But hopefully, I'm glad there are some standards. Yeah, exactly. But in general, they're just, you know, they're just a vehicle for God's blessing to us. And and that's towards the end of the service. So you can't leave. Oh, my goodness. I remember it. And on Shalom, it was late and the service went really late. And it was like two or three o'clock or something. And it was there weren't that many Kohanim left by that time that late in the service so we drag and please stay in the room exactly 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 well but i remember john that you didn't want a break we had like an hour break and you said oh i want you know if you're gonna be break give me three hours four hours but otherwise let's just go all the way through exactly you know either either you have a little bit of time to take a nap or otherwise you're just going to be grumpy let's just stay in the game yeah so HIR, Hebrew Institute of Riverdale, really, they don't have a break. They have this amazing leader, Reb Ellie Kranzler. He's a doctor, he's a psychiatrist, and he leads beautifully, and they really don't have any break. We will have a, a good break, I think. We're going to have a, I'm hoping we move it, we sing, 
We have lots of kavana. We have lots of intention, but I hopefully we'll we'll move it pretty well, pretty. Quickly. And then talk about Nila as we end. Oh my! And that's what you were saying before, John. Like by for me, it's sort of by four o'clock. I'm not, I'm not as tired. I'm I'm just excited about the end. Nila means the ceiling. It's or the closing. Lean old is to close a door. Lean old delet. You know, again, I've always said it says many times the doors for repentance are never closed. But mm-hmm. it was the Nilat Sha'arim when the doors of the temple were closed. And, you know, and when the sun is setting, so the doors of the, the day, it's kind of like when the doors of Yom Kippur of this day are beginning to close. So it's a service that's after the regular afternoon service, Mincha, and it's Right before sunset. But the truth is the way we do it, by the time you know you're done with the repetition of the of the of the Amida for Nila, it's already almost dark. It's almost time to blow the shofar to end Yom Kippur. It's really a very passionate service. And depending on no one wants to end one minute after Yom Kippur is over. Like, you know, you 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 will they will stone. <laughs> you got to judge, but you don't want to finish 10 minutes before. And then what are you going to do with the next 10 minutes? That's when the cantor or the, the leader decides whether to sing <laughs> really slow or our cantor sometimes, you know, so that's, but that's part of the, the magic of Nila. And then you go home and break the fast. And, you know, I don't know about you. My eyes are always bigger than my stomach. Yeah, well, I'm on like a little bit of a low carb diet. So we'll see what I do this this year. <laughs> but I, you know, break fast, not as much in the Orthodox tradition. I mean, they're big, they're nice. But in the more liberal traditions, they're big deals, break fast, right? I think. Yeah, and they always seem to have uh, singles parties at night. Yeah, yeah. There is a tradition not unlike what we talked about on Tuba Av. On Tuba Av, thank you, right. where the women dressed in white and danced around. There, there's a comparable tradition on Yom Kippur as well. Yeah, it's incredible that this holy day is also a day of making matches and the holiness, you know, it, it, which, which shows that living... In this world, you know, family life, finding your life partner, that's just as holy as any of this praying that we've done. That's also part of bringing God into the world. Yeah, that used to be, that's, you know, I wonder, I think that sometimes that happens during Yizker. So Yizker is a prayer that's said towards the end of, of the morning prayer, davening, for those who have passed on, that we ask God to remember all the loved ones that we that we remember. And there's a tradition that if you have not lost a loved one, you leave the synagogue for that prayer. Now, that prayer really only takes five, 10 minutes, but people kind of hang out for half an hour, an hour outside, you know, and do they come back? I don't know. So that's a time for, you know, shiduchim, for men and women, whatever, for partners to find each other. And just be careful how vigorously you dance, I suppose. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, the breakfast and the end of Yom Kippur ushers in a very joyous time. And we're supposed to feel, wow, it's incredible. 
God has forgiven us for our sins. So what could be more joyous than have to have a clean slate? And then it's Zman Simchaseinu, right? The time of our rejoicing. Yes, we right back to back is uh, Sukkot. Uh, this year, it's not too bad. You know, having Yom Kippur on Monday, Sunday night and Monday, and then you get a couple of days till Friday night is Sukkot. So you have the, the week to, you know, get stuff done a little bit. Um, and uh, this year, well, I don't know, wherever you are, if you're in Australia, it's kind of like a beautiful springtime holiday or South Africa or but if you're in England, it could get very cold. I've had some very cold Sukkot holiday of boots where you sit outside in a booth in a Sukkah and it was 20 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, wow. Well, we'll have plenty more to say about that in the next episode. Hopefully we can squeeze one in before Zaman Simchaseinu officially arrives. <laughs> We will try. We will try. And, and we will do it with joy and merriment. But in the meantime, I apologize for anything yucky I may have done to you over the last year. No, please. I mean, if I knew of anything, I would forgive you. But it's you're such a such an honor to be on this podcast with you and, and to be your friend. And please forgive me for anything I've done or haven't done, you know, and if I've talked too much about my sermons or anything like that. <laughs> I'd rather have you talk about your sermons than anything I have to say. So no, you're you're all good. You're all good. I wish you uh, a meaningful fast. Thank and, you. And a wonderful holiday to you and your family and all of our listeners. And we look forward to hearing everybody and seeing everyone soon. And a gemar chatimah tova, good end to a signing that gets us into the new year with a clean slate and with joy and passion and and a a thirst for doing good things. Amen via amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Rabbi and a Lawyer Walk Into a Bar. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to get our next episode delivered right to you. If you really like us, please consider leaving a review and sharing this with a friend. That would really help our efforts. And finally, to contact us and for more show-related information, please visit our website, rabbilawyerbar.com. Special thanks to our production team, David Stone for the introduction music, Andrew Bauman for the artwork, and I'm Nicholas Tantillo. This podcast is co-produced with Front and Social Studios in Chicago. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent. Copyrighted material, all rights reserved.